Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, this preaching is useless and so is our faith. In fact, that's how Paul would begin to close his first letter to the Corinthian church. I believe he writes in that way because he knows a feeling that many of us know too well. It's the same feeling I had the first time I went snowboarding. Uh, when my friend took me snowboarding, we went to Big Bear and this is my first time ever seeing snow or touching snow. We rented a snowboard and he said, we're gonna go down the mountain. I was like, cool. Uh, so he took me up to one of the runs that was a black diamond. Uh, and I said, I don't know how I'm gonna get down. And he said, getting down's not hard. You can get down. It's getting down while you're still on the board and still on your feet. That's gonna be the difficult part. And it was, and it was painful, and I felt hopeless because I'd never learned how to do this thing. I, I didn't know if I was riding this way or that way, and I fell a ton of times. Utter hopelessness is what I felt. It's the same thing that a man named Ian felt uh, just a few weeks ago in at Mount Baker in Washington. As he was snowboarding and going down Mount Baker and everything was beautiful, they had a few feet of fresh powder and things were great for him until he got a little outside of bounds. And then he ended up upside down in the snow. And in fact, the, the rescuers say that this is the most common way for you to fall in snow, fully upside down. And at this moment, when you're upside down in the snow, it's impossible to rescue yourself. Because they say the weight of the snow is truly like trying to swim through wet cement. And so for Ian, he felt utterly hopeless. At this moment, he is quickly freezing and suffering extremely slowly. And he's hoping that someone would hopefully see him, so he starts to wave the tip of his board back and forth. And then a skier comes by. And out of the corner of his eye, he sees Ian. And so he circles back, and he starts to yell, but he hears nothing from Ian. So at this moment, Francis, the skier, is thinking that Ian is gone. So he goes and starts to save him the best that he can, scooping all of the snow. And we see this picture turn to this, and to this, you finally begin to see a face. He was finally rescued. Francis was able to pull Ian out of the snow. Ian later in interviews would say, when you're stuck underneath the snow, you're utterly hopeless, you hear nothing except for your own breathing, and you see nothing but complete darkness. I felt completely hopeless until I knew a rescuer was coming. Isn't that what many of us can feel at times? Completely hopeless, feeling like we're stuck. Maybe it's not snow for you. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in a marriage. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in the midst of divorce. Maybe you feel like you're stuck and decisions that you've made. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in regretful decisions or painful experiences or horrifying realities. Wherever you feel stuck, utterly hopeless, please know there is a Jesus who loves you and who has rescued you and who is there for you. So whatever your desperate need is in this midst of hope, as Jesus would say in his first message to people, it's called the Sermon on the Mount or the Message on the Plain. He says, your father knows what you need before you even ask him. And then he would go on to teach us how to pray. He would say, when you pray, 
pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That means set apart is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You have a heavenly father. And you may be thinking, I hope my heavenly father is nothing like my earthly father. I know that was one of the things that kept me away from experiencing God, experiencing Jesus. We love to say here at Newbreak that your heavenly father is not the reflection of your earthly father, but the perfection of your earthly father. So we have this heavenly father who loves us completely and intimately and unconditionally. So we can ask, would you give us today our daily bread, forgive our debts as we also forgive our debtors? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Protect me. Rescue me. Redeem me. When I am in the pit of the shame of whatever I am walking through and the bad decisions or this un, un, the circumstances I just can't even control, the painful experiences, would you deliver me from that? It's a dire request of hope. And there is a piece of hope in this prayer that I think some of us can miss. The greatest hope that we have. The greatest hope we can cling on to. To fully believe, I'm not going to face tomorrow without you with me today, Lord. Is right in the middle of the prayer. On earth as it is in heaven. This is our greatest hope. This is what we get to have. And, and so many of us have tried to find hope horizontally. In relationships, in business, in success, in whatever it may be. In prestige, in power. It's like Tom Brady said, the goat himself. He would say, I've already achieved all of my goals. There has to be something more. And maybe that's you. You've tried horizontally for everything, and you've been there, and those hopes have begun to fade. Jesus is saying there's only one great hope, and it's a living hope. That's actual vertical. It's your connection with God the Father, and we're going to talk about that today. And that's this heavenly hope that we're speaking of on earth as in heaven. That's what we get to experience. That's what we're celebrating, because Easter is the beginning of us truly experiencing earth Becoming like heaven. Experiencing the great hope that we have with Jesus, our lives are changed forever. We can experience that right now, no matter what we are facing, no matter what we are looking for, no matter what pain we are walking through right now, there is a hope for you. I recently read a study that was done about people all over the world, and they were trying to figure out what people are looking for. And the study concluded that people are searching with intensity for hope. And spirituality. And the determining factor of this study was people are desiring hope in a desperate time of need. And maybe that's you. I feel like our world is stuck between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. We're stuck on Holy Saturday, or as they say in the Philippines, Black Saturday, where there's still darkness, there's still pain, there's still suffering, there's still waiting. God, are you going to do something? This can't be how the story ends. We're stuck there. It's as if our entire world, and maybe you and I, are crying out, we had hoped. And the best part about even saying those words is you're not alone. We're going to look to God's word today at the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 24. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me? The book of Luke, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, right before the book of John. If you open up your Bible halfway, if you have a paper Bible, you get to Psalms, keep going to your right. Uh, you'll start to see some of the prophets. You'll see Malachi, that's where the Old Testament ends. Then you'll get to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Or you can download a Bible app. You can go on your phone, uh, Apple or Android. You can just type in Bible, and you'll get the Version Bible app. It's great. Our church is on there. You can follow along with us. But what Luke is recording... He begins to show us that it's natural to struggle, and that's okay. And if you're struggling today, that's okay. 
Scripture would remind us, it's okay for us to struggle. It's okay for us to feel utterly hopeless and helpless at times. And isn't that some of us, even in this moment? Maybe you're asking the question, how did this happen? Why did this happen? When are things going to change? How did I get here? Maybe you've given up on relationships. Maybe you're in the midst of a marriage and you're about to give up. Maybe you've given up on your kids. Maybe you've given up on some dreams. Maybe you've given up on church. Maybe you've given up on God. Can I just say I'm glad that you're here? Because God has not given up on you, and he never will. Because his love is unconditional. And it's hard for us to experience because all we know on earth is a conditional love. I'll be your best friend. But God's love is unconditional, and it's here for you. So we pick up our story with two men. Easter Sunday, not knowing that Christ has risen from the grave, Two men on a lonely road, past the upper room, past the empty tomb, now on a lonely road, what we call the road to Emmaus. Now that same day, two of them, remember this is Easter Sunday, they just don't know what's going on. They were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They got to take a little bit of a trek. And if you've ever wondered why they're taking this trip to Emmaus, well, I shared last week on Palm Sunday that there was a a battle that was done, there was a revolt that happened, and it was led by Judas Maccabeus. Well, the Maccabean revolt actually happened in Emmaus. I wonder if these men said, I'm going to go find the place where we last had victory, because we obviously don't have it here in Jerusalem. So they're on this place, they're going seven miles away from Jerusalem. They're talking to each other about everything that had happened. The fact that Jesus was with them. These are the disciples, these people that have walked with Jesus for a few years. They're hearing the things that he said. He said that he's going to be living and he's going to be reigning. He's bringing a new kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Things are going to be changed forever. And then he died. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them. How amazing is that moment? I've heard that if you talk about Jesus long enough, soon enough you'll be talking with him. But they were kept from recognizing him. He's right there next to him, but they were kept from recognizing him. Isn't that us sometimes? Jesus shows up in our life as a stranger, and we have no clue who he is. I guarantee you, God has shown up in your life. I guarantee you, God has shown up in your life, and you may have missed it, because he has seemed like a stranger. And you just needed to wait a little longer for him to reveal who he truly is, the love that he has for you. Then Jesus asked them, what are you discussing as you gather along? I mean, as if he didn't know. Jesus knows, he knows all things. I've said it before, that don't think of something that you don't want Jesus to know. He knows. And so he asked this question, what are you guys talking about? Kind of like the garden, when Adam and Eve have already committed their sin and they're away from God and God says, where are you? Not like he doesn't know where they're at. He says, what are you talking about? They stood with their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened in these past days? Are you the only one? Jesus is like, do I not know the news? I am the news. In fact, I'm the only person who fully understands the news. So you're a terrible reporter. (laughs) But Jesus goes on. Says to them, What things? The stuff about Jesus of Nazareth? They replied, he was a prophet. And some of us get stuck there. There's there's different religions that have been started saying that Jesus was simply a prophet. That is so far from the truth. 
That's just a piece of who he was. He is fully God and fully man in the flesh. But they're speaking past tense. He was a prophet, but he's gone now. Powerful in word and deed before God and the people. Then the chief priests and the rulers handed him over. That word means delivered. They delivered him. He was supposed to deliver us, but they delivered him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. And then the cry of our world today. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all of this took place. They're stuck in the midst of Saturday. We had hoped that God would show up and turn the business around that we started. We had hoped that God would show up and do something in our marriage. We had hoped that God would show up and do something within our kids. It's too late now. You see, they put God on their timetable. And we ourselves find ourselves doing that often. God, you need to show up and here's the way that you need to do it. And show up on time, because if not, I'll let you go. After they say this, they start to share about the women, as we sang, the women that came up to the tomb. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came up and told us that they had seen visions, visions of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions, they went to some of our com- companions, they looked at the tomb as well, and they did not see Jesus. And neither do we sometimes. You're looking at the very place that he conquered the grave. And they say, we just don't see him here. You're looking at your situation. You're saying, I just don't see Jesus. He said, because I'm already working it for your good. I'm already transforming it. I'm already bringing healing to that sickness that you're dealing with. And he said to them, how foolish you are. And please know God's heart. His heart is not. How foolish. You guys are crazy. He's saying, with compassion, you just don't get it. You're missing it. You're missing me. And how many of us have missed Jesus? He said, you're missing it. He said, you're slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah suffer these things to enter his glory? And beginning with Moses on all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. He has a sermon with them going through 39 books of the Old Testament. If there's one story in the Bible that I would love to just be a fly on a wall in, it would be this one. Could you imagine Jesus giving a sermon? How many notes you would be taking? Oh, that's good. I never thought about that. (laughs) Then as they approached the village they were getting to, where they were going, Jesus continued as if he was going further. Of course he wasn't. But they said, stay with us. It's early in the evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. Then he was at a table with them. I love that we serve a God who loves to eat, because so do I. (laughs) He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and disappeared, and he disappeared from their sight. Then they asked each other, weren't our hearts burning within us? Weren't our hearts burning? Maybe you remember the time that you said yes to Jesus. There's one theologian who would say, my heart felt strangely warm when I gave my life to Christ. Weren't our hearts burning when he talked with us on this road and opened the scriptures? Then they got up and returned once to Jerusalem. This is a 14-mile journey now. They returned once to Jerusalem where they found the 11. They assembled together and they said, it is true, the Lord has risen and he appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened along the way and how Jesus recognized them. It was recognized by them when he broke the bread. They essentially run back to Jerusalem. 
Because everything has changed. They were downcast. They were in pain. And then all of a sudden, heaven met earth in a moment. That can happen to us today. The question we're answering today is how do we experience heaven on earth right now? For those two disciples, for the other 11, for the rest of the world, for the Roman Empire, everything changed in a moment and it can change for us. If there's a desperate need that you have, if you're feeling utterly hopeless, God wants to offer you the only thing that he can offer you, the very thing that you need. I've heard it said, to live is the rarest thing in the world. Most people just exist. My prayer is we would start to fully live heaven on earth today, right now, experiencing this living hope that we can finally experience today, right now. And it starts with us allowing Jesus to open our eyes. Like, like fully open our eyes. It's his part and our part because we have to understand that I can open my eyes, but I can miss things. We need to pray the prayer of the psalmist. Open my eyes so I can see you revealing yourself to me. The good things of your law, I want to see you. And he does it through his spirit and his word. If you're asking God to speak to you and you have a closed Bible next to you, he's trying to talk. Open his word. Let his spirit begin to speak to you. Because this is what happened to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and then he disappeared from their sight. They got to see Jesus as he truly was, fully resurrected. They probably didn't recognize him for two reasons. One, it's divine action. God said, you're not going to fully understand this yet. And number two is because he just went through a brutal crucifixion, where his face was marred, his whole body was marred. He looked completely different. That wasn't the king that they remembered. They finally saw his love, his kindness, his mercy, his grace, everything that they've ever needed in him. Sometimes our eyes deceive us. As Obi-Wan Kenobi said, your eyes deceive you. In fact, there's this great illustration, uh, this art piece that is done. It's actually an optical illusion. And I just want to ask you, what do you see? So in this picture, there's two faces. There's a young woman and an older woman. Raise your hand if you see the young woman. All right, raise your hand if you see the older woman. Raise your hand if you see nothing at all. Like, I got nothing. I see a feather. All right, I see you back there. This was done in the 1800s, and it was to show us something called motivated perception. We essentially see what we want to see in it. They did a study on it, and those who were younger saw the younger woman. Those who were older saw the older woman. Some of you are now, I finally see it. Okay, so you see where the feather is. That's the top of the head. And if you go down, you see an eyelash. And then you see a nose right underneath the eyelash. That's the perspective of the young woman. If you keep going down where the young woman's chin is, that's the nose of the older woman. Oh, there it is. There it is. Our eyes deceive us. Our eyes deceive us because we have these blocks in our eyes that say, this is what I have to see. And some of those blocks sound like this. This is never going to change. This is just how it's going to be. Or my least favorite phrase, we call it a curse word here at this campus. It is what it is. Those are the blocks that come. That's what it begins to sound like. You begin to become extremely negative. We have this veil over our eyes that scripture talks about. And that's why the veil was torn from top to bottom. It was split in two from separating the holy place from the holy of holies. It was totally split when Jesus breathed his last. There was earthquake and everything began to shatter and there was power because God said there's no longer a veil. There's no longer separation. Those blocks have to be removed. But for many of us, we have these blocks that stop us from seeing Jesus. 
and what's blocking you. Maybe it's your current circumstances. Maybe it's what your marriage looks like. Maybe it's what your business looks like. Maybe it's what your finances look like. Maybe it's what your career looks like at this moment. Maybe it's, maybe it's shame. Maybe the shame you're dealing with, the things that you've done in the past, the decisions that you've made, you feel so heavy in it. When I first shared that story about Ian in the snow, you're like, I know what it feels like to be in wet cement because I feel like nothing can absolutely change. This is where I fall because I think about my life and the fact that I'm standing up here sharing about a powerful, amazing God who turned my life around. I still think, but why me? Some of you know my story. I grew up in a really difficult, abusive home. Uh, my father really wasn't present. And when he was, he was dangerous. Uh, he'd be gone for months at a time. He was also in the military. And so when he stopped, when he retired from the military, he was still gone. And when he would walk through the door, there would be terror that would run through the entire house. And I was told before I was the age of 10 that as my dad was leaving, Marcus, you're the man of the house now. You need to start working and figure out how we can pay rent. And my dad left, and I saw him every so often. So it was me and my mom and my two sisters trying to figure everything out. I figured out the one way that I could make money was by selling illegal things. So I got involved in drugs, I got involved in gang violence, and I thought that that was going to be it for me. I didn't do it because I loved it. I did it because I wanted to ensure that my mom had a place to sleep. I can't tell you the amount of people that I've talked to that have this similar story, and they didn't get into it because they thought it looked fun. They, they got into it because it was the only option they thought they had. And in the midst of all of that pain, in the midst of all the things that I have done, in the midst of the issues with the law, in the midst of, of talking with different police officers, in the midst of standing in court and hearing a judge say, you can either go into this place or you can go to a 12-step program, it's the first time I experienced grace. Then in 2004, I would go to a Billy Graham revival at the Rose Bowl Center and hear that Jesus loved me. And he would say, Jesus loves you no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do. You're not too far gone. And it started to make me question. Wait, how could he love me though? And as thousands and thousands of people went up to the altar, I stayed in my seat, thinking there's no way that he could truly love me. And it made me ask questions that made me eventually give my life to Jesus. Outside of my house, in my 88 Hyundai XL, my mother was knocking on the door as I was passed out from everything that I put inside of my body. I looked and I saw my mother's eyes, and I felt a voice within me say, She's crying the same tears that you saw your father make her cry. I went to my room and I said, God, if you're real, take this from me. And everything from that moment changed. I walked and turned myself in. I talked to the people that I have hurt. I asked for forgiveness. I had to pay all the money back. Because when you do things wrong, just so you know, there's a cost in the city. You ever spray paint something? Yeah, $25,000. Yeah, oh yeah, I got the receipts. <laughs> but Jesus loved me. I gave my life to him and I said, God, this is all I want to do the rest of my life is tell people about you. So whatever shame you may be walking in today, hear this, Jesus loves you.
And I know it sounds so small and it sounds so trite, and I'm not trying to be uh, elementary in this, but it's something that we have to fully see because there's a block, and the enemy loves that block. He loves to put that block in front of our eyes that say, you're not good enough for a good God. And my response to him is, you're right, I'm not. That's what makes him amazing, is that he welcomes me and begins to transform me along the way. So maybe something blocking you is shame. Maybe it's just unbelief and doubt. Unbelief is a rejection of the gospel. Doubt is I'm wrestling with a few things. Please know God is not scared of either of them. There's some things you're wrestling with. We'd love to talk with you. Maybe you're having doubt because there was a recent loss. Maybe you're having doubt because there was a pain and a wound that happened in your life. Maybe you're having doubt because you're unsure. Maybe you're having doubt because there's just a troubled mind and a broken heart. That's okay. God is not afraid, but you can bring it to him. Now, unbelief. I want to share an approach, an apologetic approach with you called the minimal facts approach. Essentially just giving you the minimal facts necessary to prove that Jesus Christ existed and that he fully resurrected. Now, there's two criteria for these, and if you're a believer, you can use these to share with anyone. Um, Two criteria. Number one, there has to be a historical fact that happened. And criteria number two, that historical fact has has to be so understood and so well-believed that it's taken as a historical fact. Number one, Jesus died by crucifixion. This is known not only by the Gospels. We have non-Christian resources that are proving this. Historians, we have Tacitus, we have Josephus, we, we have Simon Baramara, we have so many other people that have, that have shared about this. We have historians that say the resurrection is such historical truth that we can take it as sure as history. We have atheist, Christics, and agnostic scholars that say there is no way that Christ did not raise from the, from the dead. They call it an indisputable fact. You may be thinking, well, what if he Survived? Survived? The Romans were so good at what they did, there weren't any survivors. You're crucified with nails in your feet, nails in your hands. You could barely even breathe. You were, you were wounded and marred before that, and they would ensure that you died. And then he was placed inside of a tomb. And that's the second fact. The tomb was empty. We have this beyond just the Gospels. We have this, what we call the Jerusalem factor. The Jerusalem factor means Jesus died in Jerusalem, and then he was proclaimed to be resurrected in the same place. Now, Think about that for a second. Let's say something happened in one place, and then it starts being proclaimed in another place that it didn't happen, or this person resurrected. That'd be different. But right where the Romans killed Jesus, people stood up and said, oh, by the way, he's resurrected from the dead. Think about the lie and the lives that would have been lost if there were Roman guards who began that lie. Oh, yeah, Jesus resurrected. Okay, well, if you don't know, Herod... Pilate are going to have them murdered because you didn't watch the body close enough. We also have something called the the woman, the woman factor. The woman factor, they were the first ones to the tomb. Unfortunately, back in history, in Roman culture and Jewish culture, the words of a woman were not taken as truth. So if someone was going to make up a lie in the first century, they wouldn't say, hey, so I heard from this lady because no one would believe it. Praise God. That's not how it needs to be today, and some of that still needs to change. Women, we're thankful for you. Why would this be invented as a lie? And I'm only going to give you one more. There's about six of them. You can look look them up. Gary Habermas talks with them. I would love to talk with you and share some with you. Last one. Jesus' disciples believed that he rose and appeared to them. 
We have eyewitness accounts, we have oral tradition, and the fact that they were willing to die for this fact is unbelievable. It's been said that liars make poor martyrs. All of the disciples were martyred. It means killed for what they believe, except for John, who was exiled onto an island called Patmos. That's where we get the book of Revelation. If he didn't believe, if none of the disciples believed what they believed, I don't think that, that Stephen would have been crucified upside down. I don't think these other people would have been crucified. I don't think these other people would have been killed or, or marred. I don't think Paul would have been killed. I don't think some of Paul's last words would have been, I have fought the fight, I have run the good faith, race, and I've kept the faith. He wouldn't have said that if he didn't believe it. In fact, we have so many written works that exist today proving that the Bible is true and God existed and sent his son Jesus Christ. There was a man, this is from Josephus, there was a man that walked the earth, his name was Jesus, did miracles. He died by crucifixion, was put into a grave and rose on the third day and showed himself to over 500 people in 40 days. That's historical proof. The greatest two sources we have for Alexander the Great They existed and began 700 years after he died. We have written resources, oral tradition, and the Gospels written within the same century, written within a number of years. So if you can believe Alexander the Great existed, we have more proof showing that Jesus existed. So when it comes to unbelief, I just want to say, God is not afraid of it, neither am I, neither are we as believers. God loves it. And the more you study science, the more you will see God is revealed through it. So they're thinking of all this as Jesus shows up in them. We're back in the road to Emmaus. And they proclaim this. We're not our hearts burning within us. Because Jesus goes cover to cover explaining who he is. He probably would have gone to the Garden of Eden starting in, in the beginning. And in the beginning, God, that word God is Elohim. Speaking of God in the plural. Talking about how God is in relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He would have been like, I was there. Oh, and then, do you remember when Adam and Eve uh, couldn't eat from the tree, but there was a good tree they could eat from? I am that tree. I am the tree of life. And do you remember when they messed up, and then the thing came down, and God was speaking to them and said, there's going to be one who is going to come from the woman who will put their foot on the neck of the serpent. I am the one who puts the foot on the neck of the serpent. And when you think of Abraham bringing Isaac up the mountain to Mount Moriah, did you know where I was crucified was in those mountains, Mount Moriah. I am the perfect sacrifice. When you think about Exodus and the fact that they had to go out and the blood was put above the doorpost, I am the perfect sacrifice. I am the blood. I am the healing and the hope that you need. He would go cover to cover. 39 books. In our Bible today, we have 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. He would have gone through 39 and said, that was me. You finally get to see it. And Jesus does the same with us today. So we need to ask him to open our eyes and also to open my mind to understand who he is and why he came. This is transforming the way we think. Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about this idea. Let me be transformed in my mind to see God and who he is. And so many of us have this stinking thinking about God. And it needs to get corrected. And that's okay. And it's going to take time. I still have stinking thinking about him. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he works with me so it can be changed forever. This is why he would go around after the resurrection, showing himself, saying, these, these are my wounds for you. For 40 days to over 500 people. The scripture says that. And we have historical documentation proving that. And later on, he shows up to the other disciples, the 11. And it says this, that he opened their minds to the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. And he says, the Messiah, 
will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. This is why those two men on the road to Emmaus ran back to Jerusalem because they were already fulfilling something that Jesus didn't even say yet. Then he says it again in Acts. This is powerful. It's redemption that turns tragedy into triumph. I told you when we do wrong things, there is a cost. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died a death that we should have died to pay a debt that we couldn't pay. That's why we celebrate Easter. He rose from the grave. And some of the disciples were thinking, well, you didn't destroy our enemies. And God says, my ultimate goal is not to destroy them. My ultimate goal is to die for them. The best part about the death and the resurrection is Christ's death redeems our past and his resurrection secures our future. Redeem, it means to pay what is due. It means to fully pay the receipt. When you go out to eat and go out to lunch or you're having family over and you gotta buy some things, you get a receipt. This is how much it's gonna cost. I went golfing the other day uh, with a few guys from the church. Well, they went golfing. I tried to golf. And uh, there was a bill at the beginning. And one of them said, hey, I got it. And I was like, ooh, I like that. I like that. (laughs) But the bill had to be paid. Someone had to pay it. And the best, the best part about this is we golfed on the base. And so I couldn't go into the base if I didn't have someone giving me access into the base. I can't get into this place called paradise, into heaven, without Jesus giving me access. And I can't go enjoy golf on those beautiful greens that are perfectly level in heaven without someone paying the bill. Jesus paid the bill. He gives you everything you need. Colossians would say it this way, Paul, this is Paul speaking, the same one who said if Christ didn't die, or if Christ didn't resurrect from the dead, everything is useless. He said God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it this way, all of our sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, the old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. So if you're feeling utterly hopeless, it's verses like these that keep us moving, keep us going. Now we just need to open our life to the hope that he has for us. Hope is a confident expectation that God will do what he, only what he can do and fulfill every promise that he has said. God, I trust that you're gonna be able to fulfill the promise that you have. The band is gonna come up and we're gonna spend time responding to this amazing news that Christ rose from the dead. I pray that we would respond even like Peter did, the one who denied Jesus three times as he was arrested. Peter would later write, what a God we have and how fortunate we are to have him. This father of master Jesus because God raised him from the dead. If, if God himself can raise a dead man, he can raise a dead marriage. If God himself can raise a dead man, he can raise a dead dream. If God himself can raise a dead man, he can, he can raise that hope that you feel is dead within you. He can raise it up so everything is changed. Then Peter says, And we've been given a brand new life and everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now, not tomorrow. Hope today, heaven today, healing today, freedom today. Everything can change today. If you're tired of trying to dig yourself out of the pit, digging in the wet cement, the current circumstances, the shame, the unbelief, the doubt, whatever it may be, the pain, the frustrations, Give it to him. It's our time to fully receive the hope that he has to offer. Ian, the snowboarder who was upside down, 
He talked about being utterly hopeless. Later, during an interview, he would say, I'm extremely happy that someone rescued me. And now I'm trying to make the most of the second chance on life. Maybe you're like me and you just need a second chance. Today is the day. Hope now. Freedom now. Heaven now. Healing now. Rhea, even online, would you just close your eyes? Just pause for a moment. Maybe you've been feeling the weight of hopelessness, of suffering, of difficulty, of shame, questions. Just know you have a perfect, amazing Savior who died for you and loves you enough to give you life and hope today. As I said before, if you came in and you maybe you've given up already on so many things in your life and you've given up on God himself, he has not given up on you. So if there's anything within you that says, maybe today could be the day I could experience the hope that I'm in desperate need of. I'm gonna give each of us an opportunity. It's just simple, lifting our hands to say, God, I say yes to you. We've tried other things. And God, if you're saying there's proof that Jesus rose from the dead, if you're saying you love me that much that you would send your one and only son, then God, I just want to give my life to you. Maybe you've experienced separation between you and God and you're saying today is the day, hope now, freedom now, heaven now. I'm done waiting. God, I want you now. That's you all over the room, in our student center, online. That's you. Would you just lift your hand? We just want to pray with you. I see your hands. It's many of us. I see your hands. I see your hands. Even online, you can just type in, yes, we want to pray with you. I see your hands. God wants to do something now. Hope now, heaven now, healing now. So I want to pray a very simple prayer that simply invites God in to transform us. And if we all would just repeat out loud as a family, we just say, God, I've messed up and you are the perfection of everything I've ever needed. So God, forgive me, bring me healing and give me hope. Change me today and change me forever. I thank you. I release and I receive. In your name we pray. Amen. Give God a hand because we serve a powerful, amazing, righteous, wonderful God.